You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to a special episode of The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer and Micah Richards. And when I say special, I mean it in so many ways, because on this episode, we'll be paying tribute to someone who was extraordinarily special to the game of football, to the clubs he played for and the clubs he coached and managed. Um, During his tenure as our national team manager, he gave us special memories. And to both Alan and myself, he has a special place in our hearts and always will have, even though he's left us. It was devastating to hear that Terry Venables died this weekend at the age of 80. A fine footballer who played in midfield at Chelsea, Tottenham, Queen's Park Rangers and latterly at Crystal Palace. If my memory serves me correctly, is the only player in this country to have played at every level of international football. England schoolboy, England youth... England amateur, England under-23s, a Football League 11 and England. He was a gifted, intelligent footballer, but it was his coaching and managerial career which he truly excelled at. Starting at Crystal Palace, he then went to QPR and such was his brilliance, one of the giants of football came calling. In Barcelona, the fans were, well, I think it's safe to say somewhat bemused. Um, They were incredulous. They didn't really know who he was, um, asking questions like, who is this English guy? They soon found out. He played a high-pressing game uh, long before the likes of Klopp, Guardiola, et al. They stormed to the La Liga title, smashing Real Madrid in the Bernabeu en route. He earned the nickname that always stuck, El Tel. The following season, he took them to the final of the European Cup, where they faced Stour Bucharest. It would have been Barcelona's first ever European Cup triumph but it all went wrong. Uh, Barca's finest froze and missed every penalty in the shootout after a goalless draw. I signed for him shortly after that and came to a city in mourning, uh, but distraught as Terry was, you wouldn't have known. For someone that played for some of the game's greatest coaches, uh, I can honestly say that I think he was the best. He was thoughtful, innovative and brave. We missed out narrowly for the title and four games into the following season, he was uh, ludicrously fired. Patience is not a virtue at clubs like Barcelona. It was a sad farewell, but we were to meet again when he signed me for Spurs. Uh, We had some great times, including my favourite ever moment in football, winning the FA Cup 
which included a tactical master plan on the way against Arsenal in the first ever FA Cup semi-final to be played at Wembley. He went on, of course, to manage England and took them so close to glory in Euro 96 with Alan and co. And after finishing his coaching career, we were to work together again, both for the BBC and latterly Al Jazeera's Champions League coverage, where I first started to notice something of a decline in his well-being. Uh, so many wonderful football memories, but El Tell was never one to stick to football. He was a fascinating man who delved into business, wrote books and had numerous interests. He was fascinating. He was charming. He was tough. He was witty. He was charismatic. He was Terry and every player loved him. It's a very, very sad day, Alan. Yeah, incredibly sad. I mean, it's getting, getting emotional listening to you reading off his achievements and how great he was, and I know we use that word great um, many times, but Terry really was great. He really was special. What made him special is because he he belonged in football. He belonged um, to everyone because with all the huge names that played for him over the last, I don't know, five or six hours, I've been sat reading and listening to so many people speak about him and everyone bar none um, as just saying how great he was and how nice he was, how special he was, how ahead of his time he was. And that was, I mean, that's the big thing for me is, is that we go on and rightly so about Pep and about Klopp uh, and about, we went on about Wenger and about all these great coaches. But Terry had all of that. Terry had a plan and a plan and another plan if, if for every eventuality, Terry was, for me, the first one that sort of taught me how to press was the, was the, was the guy who was playing different systems in games and three or four different systems in games. Whereas we, we rightly get hugely excited now about managers and coaches doing that in the modern day game. Terry did that 25, 30 years ago. So as bad as it's been a terrible day, um, and a really emotional day because, honestly, I, I loved the guy. I thought he was amazing and I owed him so much. And um, it's it has been nice listening and watching all the really, really positive comments about him. I'll start with you first, Gary. Do you have any personal stories that you can tell us about to let us know a bit more about him as as a person? Very much so, Micah. Um I had a special relationship with him um, in the sense that it was unique um, because I went to Barcelona. Uh, I signed at the same time as Mark Hughes. And I suppose because we were all British, um, Mark was Welsh, obviously. I think he wanted to look after us more and we became firm friends. And I think that's really unusual, that kind of relationship with a player and a manager. It's, you know, it's very distant. I would go for lunch and often dinner two, three times a week with him. Mark Hughes would come along. Um, uh, my wife and Mark's uh, then girlfriend, Jill, um, would, would, would be with us a, as well. And you don't get that ever. I mean, that's very, very different. And I, I always wondered whether that was awkward for him a little bit. Um, it didn't seem to bother any of the, the Barcelona players that were there, but I got to know him really well as a person whereas which is quite unusual with a player manager relationship but the thing was when we when we go for these lunches and um actually i've i, I got a glass of rioja 
because um, we always we always shared a bottle and um, we just talked football. But the thing is with Terry, where he was unique, is that he wouldn't just talk football, but he, he he would push you and he would think of things. And often we'd sit there and he'd go, you know, when like when the ball's on the right, and maybe if you were in that position there, and then you went to the left a little bit, and then you'd spin to the right, and you'd make that run. Do you think that you know you might get a little bit of space? And sometimes I'd go, mm, yeah, I'm not sure it would quite work. But he would he would think of things all the time, and then he'd say something, and I'd go, actually, that that might just work. And it did often. And and he massively improved me as a player. Now, you know what it's like, both of you. With most managers, you get a little bit of individual input, but not to those levels where, because most managers, they'll come in, they have a way of playing, you're, you, you know, you're set up in training, you're, you, you, know, you go through the shape and all those kind of things, which he always did as well, obviously, because he, he was very kind of innovative in his training and stuff like that. But he'd also pull players out individually all the time saying about, about this aspect of your game and that aspect of your game. And that was, I think that was unique uh, amongst, certainly amongst the managers that I played in, but probably helped a little bit by the friendship that we built. Now, when I later signed for him at, at Tottenham, it was slightly different. I don't think that had gone down too well. Um, I'd love to know what the um, um, Barcelona players thought at the time and if how much they knew about how close uh, we were. But I mean, he would try things in training, um, for example, he suddenly had this idea uh, halfway through the season. He said, what would happen if when, when we're defending corners, why don't we leave just three defenders in the box and push everyone else up? And we were all going, you what? Really? He said, well, what would they do? What would they do? Would they still put loads of players over or would, would they then shift everybody back and defend? So we spent a week like doing this in training. Um, and in the end, he decided against it because he, it, it was too dangerous because you'd end up like four against three in the box. And that's a bit of a threat at corners. But that kind of innovative thinking and always trying things and pushing things was, was something that, that, that um, Terry did all the time. I, I think, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with some great managers and great coaches in, uh, in, in my career. But he was, he was a genius at both. He was a brilliant, un an unbelievable man-manager because when you look at some of the strong characters he had to deal with in our England squad, um, captains in their own right, when you talk about Stuart Pearce, David Platt, Tony Adams, David Seaman, Paul Innes, uh, myself, uh, Gary Neville, I mean... All of these guys who you can imagine all had really strong opinions. But Terry Terry had the authority and everyone respected him that much that he came into the room and you could see everyone sort of with their eyes wide up and listening to what his next idea was or his 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 next system was was gonna be because and it was and it was amazing because the way he sort of handled everyone and handled everyone differently. I mean, there's a saying that, oh, you got to treat everyone the same in the dressing room. No, he treated everyone as they needed to be because they all had their individual needs. You know, can you imagine, how do you manage Gaza? I mean, how do you get, how do you get the best out of, out of Gaza? Him being a genius in himself. But Gaza loved him that much because, I mean, he let, he let him get away with little things, but he, he could also, give him the biggest bollocking in front of the group. And like, I mean, Gazza would, and then he would sort of 
turn around and give a little wry smile to the rest of the group thinking, right, I've put him in his place and it's someone <laughs> else's turn here. But honestly, he was he was a genius at both and he had the great knack of having his training sessions so enjoyable that you work your socks off but without actually knowing it. And then, I mean, yeah, everyone just bloody loved him. He was such a nice guy and to spend, sit down with time with him and listen to yeah. his ideas yeah. and his methods and and everything else. And that, that night in Euro 96 against Holland, I've been in some team meetings in my time, but he had a plan for every scenario. If they do this, then we go into that. If we if they do this, then we go into this shape and we go into that system. And like, again, everyone was sort of wide-eyed looking at it thinking, and it worked to perfection. I mean, it was just unbelievable how it unfolded and and the atmosphere. And he created that atmosphere in the squad. There's no doubt about it because we, we all know what went on in, in Hong Kong and China before Euro 96. And he used that to his advantage. And, and we've said it before that we, we knew we knew that we'd let one hell of a coach down and a manager and one we'd all loved. So, But he used that in a way that we, we, we then had to go out and help him and and sort of look after him and and go out and put some performances in to help repair that. And he was a genius, a really, honestly, a genius at coaching and man management. Yeah, he had a tough side as well, um, which um, I, I, I witnessed a couple of occasions. I've, I've told stories on, on, on here about when I, after the Italian 90, after the World Cup, and I was pretty exhausted and we didn't get much time off before the season started again because we went all the way and played in the third place playoff. Um, and came in, started training and I, I talked about we had the cross-country run where we had to do three laps of the training ground, um, which was quite a long way. And after on the first lap, because I, I was terrible at long distance running, I jumped behind a bush. Um, it's something I actually regretted quite quickly afterwards and waited till the next lap and then joined them. I still, <laughs> I still finished last. Um, <laughs> Um, but I think I think someone grasped me up, and uh, he, put, he got me into to his office, and and he went, he went, oh come on, come on, you're better than that, and he did it in a way that made me feel bad, about, and, and and I felt guilty um, that that I'd let him down. But you know, and it, it was interesting. You talked about Gaza there, um, Alan, because handling Gaza is 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 not easy. Um, he's great to have on your side because he's unbelievable footballer, but an, a, an incredibly lovable personality. But he's difficult because he's a loose cannon, and um, and the way he handled him, I always used to hear them. You know, didn't they used to say he wouldn't have had the problems in life he had if he'd have gone to Manchester United and Sir Alex Ferguson? And, and I understand why people say that, but. I totally disagree because, uh, you know, you, you, the, the way he handled, he got the best out of Gaza. In that run-up when we, uh, I talked about it in a little introduction there, that we played in the, um, when we went all the way to Wembley and played in the final, where of course, kind of self-imploded, didn't he, in that first few minutes and kicked out a couple of times, got himself injured with a terrible knee injury. But on the build-up to that final, all the way through, Gaza was unbelievable. He carried us through. He, I think it was a game against, I think it might have been Portsmouth away. I think we were one down. He scored two unbelievably good goals. One was, I think one might have been a header, which is quite unusual for Gaza. Um, and then I talked about the tactical master plan when we played Arsenal in the semi-final. Now, Arsenal had already won the league. Obviously, it's Tottenham Arsenal, North London derby. First time it had ever been played at Wembley. Massive game. They were huge favourites to beat us. Huge favourites. Um, and he came up and we completely changed. He played me up front on my own. And he played like a five in midfield. And it was... And it just worked. 
and we, we, we kind of destroyed them. We beat them 3-1. We went through, got the final, and then, you know, Gaza did that thing in the final. Got himself injured. He was carried off. He was lucky, to be honest, lucky not to get a red card, but he was carried off anyway with this terrible injury, and he was, he was taken off to hospital. And after the game, we were desperate to go out and obviously celebrate, and we had a little event planned and stuff. Um, and Terry said, no, Gaza got us to this final. And he got us all on the bus and we went to the hospital and visited Gaza um, and, and that sort of thing. There's, you know, I talked before about when my, my eldest son, George, when he was at the time, he was only a couple of months old and he had leukemia. First person I called to tell was Terry Venables. He said, right, I'm picking you up in the morning. I'm taking you to the hospital. So it was that kind of, you know, he was not only just a great coach, but, you know, he cared about him and he cared about his players. Um, and those are the memories that will always um, always stick with me i mean i i put on i put on social media uh, at lunchtime about i owe him so much i, I owe him my england career because you you know it before i hadn't leading up to euro 96 i hadn't scored for two years in all those friendlies when he was appointed england manager i mean i, I went to interview him many years back in uh, in spain at his hotel in spain and that was one of the first thing i said i said to him um, about me not scoring for two years. He said, yeah, tell me about it. I remember it really well. <laughs> <laughs> but what was it, what, what, what was he saying to you at that time though, Alan? You know, because you talk about years later, uh, you, you, we've mentioned you two and it's so beautiful to listen to you two talk about him in such a way. But in them difficult moments, a lot of people will want to know, what was he saying to you back then, you know? You know what he, he was saying to me? He said, he said to me, I don't care whether you score in the next five or six friendlies. You are scoring every single week for your club. I don't care whether you score for England in the next five or six friendlies. What I'm going to say to you is, is that you will be my number one centre forward in that first game in Euro 96. And I just thought, wow, Jesus. I mean, for him to put his neck on the line, to have that much belief in me when... All the other forwards, I mean, they were coming into the team and scoring and, and I just couldn't score for England. It was just one of those things. And I mean, Andy Cole and Ian Wright and Les Ferdinand and all of these, all, all of these brilliant centre forwards. Robbie Fowler, they were, they were all scoring. Um, and I'm thinking for that man to say to me, yeah, you will be my number one centre forward in the first game. Then the rest is up to you. And I just honestly, I just looked at him, I thought. I cannot let you down. I, I mean, for him to have that much belief in me, I just thought, wow, it's, it's, he's got that much belief in me and he, he feels that strongly that I'm going to go in and do the business for him when it would have been so easy for him to say, no, you know what, I've got other forwards and I'm going to give them an opportunity, etc. And then, you know, what happened after that? I scored in the first game and then it got better from then on. So that's what I meant when I, when I, when I mean I owe him because I think... Another manager might have said, you know what, someone else's turn. And then if they had off, I don't know what would have happened after that. I must say this one, it did hit me quite hard. I mean, we, you know, you, you get, as you get older, as you get older, you know, people that you've played with or people that you've played under um, sadly die. Um, I mean, I was, I was thinking today, I think of all the managers that I played for, I think there's only one that's still alive and that's Gordon Milne um, who managed me at Leicester it's, um, 
Jock Wallace, he's gone, who's who's really great for me. Then Howard Kendall at Everton, who meant a lot, even though I was only there a year. And obviously Terry Venables at two different clubs and even with England. Um, Bobby Robson, sadly, who's just a wonderful human being um, and, and, and Graham Taylor. So, But I must say, I suppose because of that unusual personal connection, um, with Terry, I'm, 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 I found it difficult this morning. I, I was really upset, and I did a live thing on BBC News, and I was, I was really struggling actually at, at, at certain, certain times. I hadn't seen him because I think he was kind of protected a little bit over the last um, few years. Um, I think I had lunch with him about probably five years ago, um, with a couple of friends, and we reminisced, and he was, he was in great form. But it, it, it is a tough one. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about him, but um, let's take a short break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 40%. Up to 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to The Rest is Football with Micah Richards, Alan Shearer and myself, uh, Gary Lineker. Um, we're paying tribute um, to the late, great um, Terry Venables, um, someone that was hugely important and significant to both um, Alan and myself. Um, and I believe he was Steve McLaren's number two when when you were in the squad, uh, Micah, but um, it, I can't see Terry as a number two, um, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, he, he was such a, a lovely person. Obviously, I've not got the same stories that you two would have, but he just had that warmness about him. He would always be honest. He would just always say to me, go out there and give it 100%. Believe in your ability and the rest to take care of itself. So he was just sort of that. And it's sort of difficult for him being a top manager and being an assistant. It was sort of... You remember the, the, the managers at, um, at Liverpool at the time? Who was it? Roy Evans and Gerard Houllier. You sort of, you respect both of them. Both, McLaren was a great coach, but obviously um, Venables was a great manager. So it's where do you get your advice from? So that was a little bit strange at times. But as for a person that he was, 
yeah, he, he couldn't ask for a better person in the short time I shared with him. He was such a lad as well, though, wasn't he, yeah. Gary? Although he was your manager and your coach, you <laughs> knew that you could. I mean, after the after those games, you know, in in uh, in Euro '96, uh, and we had a game four or five days later, but. Such was the strength in the squad that we got back to the hotel at I don't know eleven o'clock at night, half eleven at night, and of course no one can sleep. So we're all we're all sat in the bar till three or four o'clock in the morning, and then all of a sudden training's been moved from ten o'clock until one o'clock. <laughs> and Terry was there with us, you know. He sat yeah. and have a glass of wine with us, and we'd yeah. all end up having a sing song, and he was all part of it. And that's and that's why we all sort of loved him because he wasn't aloof. But we all knew how far we could push him, and and he he had he had his limit, you know. And I think that's the great sign of of a manager just being that respected and that like, but also being able to step away and be as serious if you wanted yeah. to be. It was like it was like a, a cheeky Cockney as well, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, but he, he yeah. loved he, he actually loved to sing song, didn't he? He loved oh, to he sing. Loved he, he, he was he was not didn't bad he actually. Club? Scribes, yeah, he used to go yeah. there and he used to do, have yeah. a sing. And he, he, I'm pretty sure he, he sang on television once. He also wrote um, like a, a fiction novel, I think. What was it? Was it Hazel? Hazel, that was the character in right, well. in the book. So that I mean, he all he had all sorts of um, strings t- to his bow. I mean, I t- talking about a, another story when I, I well, I used to love playing cricket and played, you know throughout my football career mainly in the summer but um but when I was at Tottenham I lived in St John's Wood and I just down the road from Lords and I used to play for a club that played um just in September but they played nearly every day so it's during the seasons but because they played in midweek it cross arrows that's what they were called and um used to play on the nursery ground at Lords and I'd used to go and I was a batsman um and I keep wicket as well but I didn't keep wicket during the season because it's obviously quite strenuous but I was, um, I played in this game, we batted and then they, then they were chasing and the runs down. But it, it was one of those games that was going to peter out into a draw. No one was going to win it. And um, the captain of the side says, Gary, why don't you have a bowl? And I went, no, I don't bowl. I don't bowl, never bowl, right? So he went, oh, go on, have a bit of fun. And I, they talked me into it. And I, I ran in and I bowled about three balls. And then the fourth ball, I lifted up my side, bowled. I went twang, muscle went in my side and it was a Thursday, it was a Thursday, two days. I think, I can't remember, we might have been Aston Villa or somewhere we were playing. I've gone, oh no. And I, I thought, hope it's not much. And I, I went, I woke up in the morning, I could barely move and I thought, oh God. <laughs> so I thought, what do I do? Do I tell the truth or do I to make something up? And I thought, I thought, I can't lie to Terry. I can't lie to Terry Venables. And I, I came in in the morning, I went to his office and I went, Terry, got a problem what is it I said I've, I've hurt my side I just like my muscle it's like really I don't know and he went how did you do it I went I was I was um, play, playing cricket and I was bowling he says you were what I said oh, yeah I was yeah. and he went that's it you and your cricket he said that's it no more cricket you're never playing again that's it finished I went no oh, come on I said what about if I never bowl again <laughs> and, and and Terry being Terry went all right all right go on then he said he said but make sure you play on Saturday <laughs> and, and I, I kind of got through the game and and played it and it was you know that 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 kind of magic kind of formula that that he had that made you want to run through a brick wall for him 
he was uh, he was too strong for the FA, wasn't he? Because yeah, I mean, there's no way a man of uh, of his ability and his coaching nous and everything else that that he came with and brought to the table for England, which is why it was so devastating as well. You know, after uh, after the semi final in uh, in Euro '96, it was like. Yeah, it was it was really tough to take because we all knew how how great he was, and no one wanted him to leave. And I know Glenn Hoddle came in, and and Glenn was a brilliant coach as well, in my opinion. But um, Terry was uh, it was very 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 special. Yeah, the thing about if you look back at Terry Venable's career, um, and he's he, you know he's obviously uh, it was amazing, particularly as a manager. But if you look at it, there's two penalty shootouts. You know, and the difference between him being regarded, I think, across the board as being a great, if he'd have won those two, one would have been Barcelona's first ever, imagine that, first ever European Cup stroke Champions League win and England in the Euros. And I'm pretty sure you're pretty confident you would have won the final. Um, oh, yeah. Czech Republic, wasn't it, that, that Germany yeah. beat in the final? I'm pretty sure he would have won the two. And I know, and I've had conversations with him that that you know those were the things that he'd look back on and thought, if only, and it would have made such a massive difference. Just those kind of fractions, isn't it? I said that to him when I was uh, when I was with him in Spain a few years back when I interviewed him. I said, you know, if we had won that tour, it would have been Sir Terry Venables. <laughs> he went, oh, stop it, don't start. <laughs> Sir El <laughs> Tell, Sir El Tell, Sir El Tell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, genius, absolute yeah. genius. I remember he was at Barcelona. He could, could because obviously, um, you know, his Spanish actually was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, he had, the, but he, he he always felt more comfortable in his in his big team talks during the training sessions. He'd, but he always had he had a um, a translator um, called Graham Turner because of the way Spanish is pronounced. They used to call him Graham. Graham, um, uh, who was who was a brilliant interpreter. He could do Catalan. He could do Spanish. He could, do, and he was, uh, and he was brilliant. And sometimes in the team meetings, I could see Terry would deliver kind of I don't know a minute of of tactics and this and that and the other, and then Graham would stop and he would do it word for word. I mean, I studied it hard Spanish, and I could, and I was thinking, God, he's good. And every <laughs> single time, you could see that after about thirty seconds, he he was going. Come on, Graham! Come, come on, Graham! Come on, Graham! Get on with it! Get on with it! Because you, 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 like, he just wanted to get over his point of view, and that that translation thing just um, just frustrated him. But he was he was massively respected as a coach by the Barcelona players. He was much loved in that city uh, as well for what he did. And that first season when he, I mean, he came in. I can't remember whether it was like three, four, or five nil they won in the the burnabout. They definitely um, gave them a good. Uh, Tonkin, it was before I arrived, but um, and um, they walked the league that first season. Then they suffered. We suffered a couple of really serious injuries to two of the best players. One, I think, had f- finished his career. Um, but I know that I know that particularly that final of the European Cup um, because it was meant to be their time. I mean, it's Stau Bucharest. It was in Spain somewhere. It might have been might have been Seville. I can't quite remember because I wasn't at the club at the time, but, you know, 120 minutes, nil-nil, and it didn't quite happen for them. But uh, what a man, what a career. Here, here. Mm. Sadly, sadly missed, and we all loved him. Yeah, we did. It's been outstanding hearing you two's tributes, you know. Um, unfortunately, I can't contribute as much as you two, but you've literally walked me through start to finish, and it's been amazing to to hear the tribute, you know. So... 
Thank you for that. And I'm sure everyone really would appreciate that as well. Absolutely. Um, before we finish, um, just like to say um, to Yvette um, and Terry's family, um, sincerest condolences. Um, he'll be much missed and we, we, we send you all our thoughts and our love. Well said. So um, this is obviously a slightly different episode than we normally put out on a, on a Monday. Um, we, we're going to do our review of the Premier League weekend um, further down the week. We wanted to give um, proper respect to Terry Venables. We'll miss him. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.